Hello and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Ricky Hellier and I'm a lecturer in the School of Healthcare Sciences at Cardiff University. In this episode, my colleague Lara Cope will be talking to Carl Hawkin, who's the Welsh National Lymphedema Lead for Children and Young People, as well as Ellen, who's a young service user and ambassador for the condition, who also happens to be a student at Cardiff University. So what is lymphedema? Well, it's a chronic condition which affects the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is a bodily system, which is a network of channels, pipes, glands throughout the body, and it helps fight infection and remove excess fluid. A lymphedema causes swelling, which results in discomfort, difficulty in movement, skin infections, and changes in the appearance of the skin. It can affect young and old people and is more common in the extremities of the body. In Wales, the prevalence is around about 7 per 1,000 people, equating to probably around about 22,000 people in the country who've got some form of chronic edema. It's not as common in children and young people, but there's still a prevalence of around about 35 per 100,000 people. As it stands today, lymphedema is a lifelong condition, but patients work with their clinicians to develop strategies and plans to help them manage their condition on a day-to-day basis. So now over to the discussion. Uh, so uh, thanks Carl and Alan for, for joining me today to talk about uh, lymphedema. Uh, Carl, I'm wondering if we can start with you, if you could tell us what is lymphedema to start with? Okay. Um... Yeah, lymphedema is a persistent swelling of any part of the body. It's most commonly seen in the arms and legs. Uh, this, this swelling is a collection of fluid that uh, builds up within the tissues and under the skin, which cannot be drained by a needle. Um, the fluid is known as lymph and is colourless, odourless and really rich in protein. So what we kind of classify as lymphedema is this swelling, or edema as we call it, that's been present for three months or more. Um, if left untreated, complications such as leaking fluid, ulcers, wounds, and cellulitis can occur. It is classified as a chronic condition. There's no cure, but it can be well managed, as I'm sure Ellen will, will um, talk us through later on. Um, there are two different types of lymphedema. There's one you can be born with, which is called primary. And this is due to a problem with the development of the lymphatic system, during, during pregnancy and early development. It can be present at birth. It can be seen, um, I've, I've had a case recently where it was picked up during ultrasound scans and when the baby was still in, in uterus and um, it, it was picked up that it was swelling of the, of the foot was evident there. So it can be picked up as early as that. So it can actually be picked up on, on the scans. Um, it can be picked up during early childhood or adulthood. Um, in some cases, it's hereditary, and, and there are lots of genetic research and genetic links kind of going on at the moment. And there's some excellent work being done in St. George's in London in making new developments and new genes that are, that are kind of linked to lymphedema. So what we're learning a lot of is some of the chronic conditions that have been seen, especially within in the children's services, um, that have genetic links. There's more and more understanding of these genetic links now and links made to, to the risk of lymphedema. So it's really good for the future in that we can um, have some early identification and early intervention where lots of our patients, you know, lots of our ch- children's patients is sometimes well into their teens or early 20s before they even get a diagnosis. Um, so that's primary. The other type of lymphedema is secondary, which is caused due to, is to damage to the lymphatic system. So where primary is underdeveloped or a development um, deficiency, this is where the, the lymphatic system has been damaged during, during their lifetime. 
Um, that can be caused by any types of surgery, radiotherapy, cancer treatment, um, venous problems, uh, skin conditions, including repeated cellulitis, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some stage. Um, immobility and obesity are some of, some of the contributory kind of conditions that, that contribute to secondary. Is that about it? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's great. Um, can you just explain a little bit for our listeners about the lymphatic system itself? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, well, the lymphatic system kind of works in, in relation to the cardiovascular system. In, in that it transports um, fluid around the body. So it's kind of like, the, it can be classed as the recycling system. So it carries um, protein-rich fluids, um, dead cells in our body through the lymphatic system to our lymph nodes, which are basically the recycling systems. And, and nutrients and fluids that can go back into the body and the bloodstream can be reabsorbed or, or the body can get rid of the things that it doesn't really need. So like dead blood cells, fat cells, things that we don't need. Um, it's really important to kind of remember that the lymphatic system is really important in the immune system. So if, if the lymphatic system is not working properly, um, lots of the uh, patients are more at risk of developing cellulitis and infections. Um, so what we kind of suggest, I suppose, or what we kind of look at is the prevention of all, all these kind of risks, risk factors. So kind of going back to the lymphatic system, the difference between the cardiovascular system and the lymphatic system is the cardiovascular system has the heart to pump blood around the body, where the lymphatic system doesn't have its own pump. It relies on muscle pump and movement to move this fluid through the channels. So that's kind of where people think, ah, oh, well, it's like the cardiovascular system. It must pump, must have its own pump, but no, it hasn't. So it, it actually needs people to move muscle pump, which increases the flow through, through the lymphatic channels. Um, so that's kind of where it differs from the cardiovascular system. So what it does then, again, like I said, the, the nutrients go back into the bloodstream or um, extracted from the body through our kidneys and, and, and we through our urine. That's great. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, how all the different parts of the body systems work, work together there. And um, I'm just wondering, so how do you know how common lymphedema is? They've estimated in ways as part of some of the research that, that that's been kind of going on with us. Um, it, it's not really known because I think because it's such an underknown condition, especially within within children's services and even in adult services, it's not known how many people had it. Uh, but it has been estimated that it infects at least ten thousand people, which is on the data that I have. But I'm thinking it's a lot more than that because I know within one health board within Wales, they have over seven thousand patients or 3,000 patients, sorry, 3,000 patients. So um, in regards to that, I think, especially more in children's services, when the children's services were started in 2015, there was the thought that there was 1.4 person per 100,000 had lymphedema. Um, but the, the, the research then was, was very minimal. It hadn't looked into. But the recent research we've done as part of the national team that was finished in 2018, suggests there's at least 31 pe per people per 100,000 um, that have lymphedema. And that's, and that's in the children's services between 0 to 25 years old. So I think there's a lot more out there um, that, that, that we know of, um, basically because of the awareness. There's a lack of awareness in healthcare services in the, in the general public. To me, before I come into lymphedema services, you know, I, I spoke to somebody about you know working in lymphedema. I was like, 
what the heck's lymphedema? So there's no wonder, and I'm, you know, and I'm a healthcare professional, so there's no wonder there's education staff and general public are, are unaware of this. Absolutely, and I was thinking that I always thought that lymphedema was something that affected older people, but you yeah. talk quite a bit there about the uh, how it impacts on children, which kind of leads me into my next question, which is about your role. Mm. Um, so if you could tell us a little bit about about what what you do and the service. Yeah, uh, well, my, I've been working in, in the, with the National Lymphedema Team um, since 2019. Um, and my predominant role is the, um, I'm the National Children and Young People's um, Lymphedema Lead. So we, again, like I said, we cover children from naught to 25 years old. Um, and a lot of my role is what we do, we, we support all the services. So we cover all the health boards in Wales. We sit within one health board we cover all the health boards in Wales um, and each of these health boards have a designated lymphedema service but not necessarily a children and young people specific so my role is to support the um, the lymphedema services in managing and treating um, the children and young people um, help self-manage raise awareness education so we we provide the support for all the health boards um, to, de to deliver to deliver an equitable service um, and it's growing all the time and it's really exciting some of the opportunities that we're developing like with like with this podcast and like with the universities and that um so yeah so my background i'm an occupational therapist um and i've kind of come from a pediatric occupational therapy background as well as a mental health background um and i'm the only ot working within the lymphedema services at the moment as i'm aware of there has been one or two ot's that have worked in the various services but I'm the only one in the national team. Um, I, got, I have a colleague that's working with me whose background is adult nursing, um, who we kind of, again, between the two of us, we support all the health boards. Um, so again, my role also includes kind of research and audit and all the things that that are informing what's, what's needed. So like I said, the research was done saying that there was a lot more children out there. With my OT background, I'm developing links at the moment with OTs, physios, nursing, all healthcare professionals in in raising the awareness and and and, and really helping these children that can really be um, so they can be identified and have a diagnosis earlier in life so we can really support them and, and help them manage at, at an early stage. So the burden then of having lymphedema may not be uh, may not be as high. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great. Thanks, Carl. It's, it sounds it sounds fascinating uh, the work that you do, and you mentioned about working with with children and young people. So I'm just going to bring um, Ellen in because Ellen, you work, Carl works with you, doesn't he? And you've you've had input from the service. So I just wondered if you could um, at this point just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to to your diagnosis. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, my name's Ellen and um, I'm 24 now. So I'm getting towards the end of the young person category. <laughs> um, so journey to diagnosis is always a really difficult one because the easy answer is I didn't get a diagnosis for a very long time. <laughs> um, I was born with my condition. Um, and I think I was eight weeks old and my parents noticed that my left arm was bigger than my right arm. And then the GP noticed that my left leg was bigger than my right leg. And at this point, you know, this was 20, 23 odd years ago, um, 
very, very, very little was known about lymphedema and and actually um I was wrongly diagnosed with another another condition called hemihypertrophy syndrome and um over many years I went with having this um condition and diagnosis and label and then it was only a few years after that that I started to develop issues with my lungs and there was a doctor there who felt that maybe there was something going on with my lymphatics to do with my lungs and then I got diagnosed with a condition called pulmonary lymphangiectasia and at this point you know I've got I've got two very very rare conditions and everyone was thinking they must be all linked in some way you know they can't be it can't be just two very rare conditions but we had a lot of challenges and difficulties with access accessing care and services that would be able to support me because it was so rare and there wasn't there wasn't understanding so I had to keep going up to London to the specialist hospitals there and then eventually then they I got a diagnosis of lymphedema primary lymphedema not hemihypertrophy syndrome which they felt went hand in hand with the pulmonary lymphangiectasia because overall it had sort of some lymphatic involvement so that was for the majority of my life, that was the diagnosis I had, was primary lymphedema of pulmonary lymphangiectasia. Um, and then just in terms of diagnosis, it was only in the last few years, I, through what Carl was mentioning, how that the technologies around genetic testing and gene testing have been developed, I was enabled to have my genes tested and I have now been reclassified overall and I have um, wild syndrome, um, which is one of the lymphatic genetic conditions that they are mapping. And um, we all have like a distinct profile of the sort of things that we have. But as a result of that genetic abnormality, I've got primary lymphedema of the left-hand side um, it's quite cool. You could probably draw a line and then one side works and one side doesn't. So, um, yeah, so that's my diagnosis. That was a very long winded way of saying that, yeah, it, it took a long time to actually get the true diagnosis of what it is. And it, you know, it, it does take time. Yeah, gosh, that, that, I mean, like you say, it's, it's, it sounds like a really long journey. You know, most of your, your life, up until now basically has been trying to identify you know what what condition what condition you you had so wild syndrome then what 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 is that what exactly does that mean yeah so i think i think it stands for um warts because it's got a human papillomavirus um association um so it's warts immunodeficiency lymphatic dysplasia um at the moment that's how it's classified but like i said there's i i checked this there's 21 of us with it at the moment um but and that's who's been seen by the team 
in the UK. So it's still in the process of, you know, how they're mapping it and how they're classifying it, which is really exciting, you know, it, it really is. And uh, after so many years of not really knowing what's going on, I, I've really, really appreciated how now I'm getting a lot of answers and it's lovely to see the, the difference that the technologies can make. But my mum laughs about it, well, not laughs, but she thinks back to when I was a child, you know, running around on the beach, no compression whatsoever, like barefoot, you know, and 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 now, you know, if she knew that I had lymphedema and that all this stuff, you just wouldn't do that. You'd be so worried about getting a cut and getting cellulitis and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's interesting the difference it makes once you do know. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you then. So how how does how does your condition impact you like physically? But I'm also mm -hmm. wondering, like maybe psychologically and emotionally with with everything that you've gone through as well? Yeah, so um, physically I have swelling, so excess swelling of the left-hand side. Um, the most noticeable areas are my leg and my arm. Um, it's a difficult one. I, th I think the, the wonderful, weird and wonderful part of lymphedema is every single patient is completely different and, and it can really affect you in so many different ways. Um, like Carl said, how the lymphatic system is, is everywhere, you know, it, it's, it's involved in so many different bodily functions. For me personally, I think it's, uh, I always say it's like a triage of not doing too much but not doing too little like I can't sit walk or stand for any long period of time in any one of those three things so I have to be mindful of that and also as we can you know explore a bit further the management of lymphedema is very patient-centered you have to there's lots and lots of different options there's no cure as such but actually with good compression bandaging, regular massage, good skin care, um, eating, you know, healthy lifestyle, um, keeping active as best you can, keeping on top of infections. You can, you know, you, you can cope very well, but actually saying it out loud, you realize how much there is to think about. And I think emotionally that's hard sometimes, you know, it really is. We all get times where we just want to lay on the sofa, do nothing and not have to think about, oh, I'm getting pins and needles. I've got too much compression on or, or I need to adjust this or I'm tired. I can't be bothered to put all the compression on this morning or there's different things that happen in the last few years my arms got a lot worse and that's you know been something I've had to manage um so yeah it's do you know what it is a lot to think about and I think that's something that a message I'd like to get across really is lymphedema can affect patients in so many different ways and and it can have an impact on their life and their jobs and what they do and their relationships and the people around them and it's it it's a big diagnosis to get your head round. Um, I really didn't get my head round it or accept it until I was well into my teenage years, you know, and I, I was born with it. I've not known any different. And that is the 
for me that's the biggest step in my journey like once I got to the point where I accepted who I was and the condition that I had I was then able to accept help able to look after you know my leg better take my prophylaxis antibiotics every day mom I always say this but mum had like signs around the room don't forget your tablets don't forget your tablets and you know mum and dad would always be you know reminding me but ultimately it's got to come from yourself and you've got to be in a position to be able to help yourself and that's what's really I think it's both exciting but also really challenging with lymphedema is it's one it's quite a niche condition in the sense there's you know there's not a tablet you can take you know it's it's not just like as simple as that there's a lot of different um quite intensive treatments that need to be patient-led so yeah I could talk for ages on this sorry <laughs> no, no, it, it's 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 fantastic thank you for for being so open um and, and honest about it and I'm just wondering Carl if I could if I could bring you in there about some of the things that Ellen was saying about um acceptance absolutely yeah and, and we again I think it's very much linked to when the diagnosis is given because we have lots lots of younger children who you know like I've seen a four-week-old baby for her now everything that we are going to you know in, in educate the parents about on self-managing they're not going to know any different so it's so it's that's going to be a part of life so like like Ellen said the um the techniques and the self-management techniques that we use everyone thinks it is it is a very very nice condition that not many people know about so everyone's kind of worried in oh my gosh I've never heard of this condition how the heck am I going to ma manage this well, actually, like Ellen said, you know, there's some really simple things. Lots of our techniques are, you know, not not high tech scientific, you know, looking after your skin, washing regular, keeping your skin well moisturized, monitoring if you've got any cuts and, and, and treating them, you know, movement, you know, for the majority of people, you know, movement comes quite naturally. So like, like Ellen was saying, although she was um, not aware that she had lymphedema and, and her mother definitely wanted to let her run around on the beach without <laughs> shoes on. She was running around. So she was almost self-managing herself then. She, so she was doing things that she didn't even know about, washing and, and keeping her skin dry. She was already doing that. It was the compression and some of the other understanding of why she was doing it, she wouldn't have known. So again, acceptance is is difficult for, for any condition, I think, for any chronic condition, for but not just for the patient. I also think for the family. And I think it's really useful to kind of recognize that any chronic condition, as well as lymphedema, is not only a burden for, for, the, for the, the patient, but also a burden on the family and siblings as well as understanding. Because we, then again, there's some, some other research has been done that a patient's confidence and a patient's ability to self-manage uh, greatly improves when they, they're confident that their parents and their siblings understand the condition. So it's really interesting that, you know, the raising the awareness, the raising the profile of it. So it's not a condition that a child or a patient can be brought to clinic and everything that needs to be done for that person is done in that clinic. There's so many other things to be doing to self-manage. Um, and, the, you know, the, there's a lot more understanding of the burden of that now and the psychosocial impact of, of lymphedema. Um, and that's definitely something the services are kind of geared towards. So quality of life, impact of condition, impact on health, 
um, is really kind of coming to the forefront of all our kind of services and treatment and, and research at the moment. So it's definitely been acknowledged that, that the, um, the acceptance and the psychosocial impact is one of the um, one of the major kind of contributors to, to effective management. Because uh, unless you believe in it and accept it, you're far less likely to engage in, you know, therapeutic techniques um, than, than if you weren't. Yeah. Um, you, you've both mentioned um, the one of the, I guess, the, man the management or treatment of lymphedema is compression. Um, so, um, Ellen, I, I wonder if you could explain a little bit about that. And I know our listeners can't see you, but I'm just wondering on your, I've noticed on your left hand, is that, is that part of your, your treatment compression? Um, yeah, so this is, um, I kinesiotaped my hand. I, I love kinesiotaping. I'm just trying some new things at the moment. Do you know what, this is what I love. And I just want to say one of my, absolute favorite things about since being in the service lymphedema network wales is they know how much i love to try new things so every time i go there it's like right have you thought about this and, and it's just like i feel like i come home and it's christmas every day i come back with all these different things to try and all these different ideas and it's lovely because i was um when I was younger, I wasn't able to access lymphedema services. So one of the issues we have in the UK as a whole is, um, because I was born in England, was um, in a certain areas that you can only access lymphedema treatment if it's as a result of um, a cancer, you know, a secondary lymphedema. So I wasn't able to access any lymphedema service regularly until I was 18 years old so to go that long without any intervention was really really hard yeah. um and then now since coming over to Wales and it's just honestly it, it's just the best I, I I love it um so yeah back to the question though um so a kinesiotape uh usually I kinesiotape directly on my um wrist and what kinesiotape is is it's just sticky sports tape, really. I think some people use it for other things, other different things. And I also do that on my foot and my ankle. But compression itself is, um, I tend to wear like a full leg, bit like a, a, a normal stocking. And then it's very tight. And there's just varying different varieties of it. Um, there are so many different varieties actually, which is brilliant and lots of different things to try. I love compression. It is, it is absolutely my lifeline. It allows me to function. It allows me to do what I want to do. It is um, something you can adapt. So I layer up, I wear um, two different full legs. I wear another one up to my knee. I sometimes wear things on my ankle. I sometimes wear things across my foot. I wear an arm sleeve um, up to my shoulder. I wear full leggings, which go both legs up onto my abdomen to try and help with that. Um, and I love it. And when I was, before I came to Wales, I was in what they call made to measure compression. So you have sort of two broad categories of made to measure, which is where the um, clinician, the lymphedema therapist measures your limb 
and you can get a garment made specifically for you or there's also garments which are off the shelf which are more standardized um, compression garments in different sizes and they said right let's get you off made to measure let's try you on off the shelf garments for someone that's had 18 years or not 18 years but at least 10 years of made to measure so oh <laughs> what <laughs> what is this this feels different I don't know and um they were like trust us you know trust the team give it a go we can always go back it's always down to you it's always patient-centered whatever's right for you and it's been incredible I wish I could show actually but basically with a made to measure if you can imagine if you've got an abnormal limb you're making the limb smaller each time, but it still retains that abnormal shape. Whereas with the made to measure, for the first time in my life, I had ankle definition, calf definition, knee definition. And yes, okay, the leg's still more swollen, but actually it's got that definition I fit into normal genes, you know, and it actually enabled me to to live life a bit more um yeah I could wear a bit more what I wanted clothes wise clothes and shoes are obviously an issue when it comes to um lymphedema and managing that especially growing up as a child that's really difficult really challenging um but yeah that's compression in a nutshell <laughs> yeah that, that, thank you I was just going to ask you actually you talked about like clothing and and how and how it actually made you feel when you went from one to another I'm just wondering about how lymphedema affects maybe body image and you know for, for you Ellen and then Carl if you could comment as well from your experience working with people yeah I think it it was it's it's a constant journey really you know it, it is it's tough it's not easy and it is hard because you you look for people around you that look similar to you you know that's natural isn't it when you're growing up you you want to feel included and you want to feel like other people and um when I was growing up because it was so rare it still is so rare but actually the awareness was not as good it was really challenging I I'd, I think I got well into my teenage years before I even saw someone else with lymphedema you know and that that I remember the difference it made once I started seeing other individuals and um that's that's a really important part I think of of awareness with lymphedema is, is to try and share that with other people because it, it can get you down it's just silly little things like I'm getting married this year and my arm's not as good as it has been and it's going to be really hot and I'm going to be swollen and I originally wanted to I wanted to wear a dress that had a long sleeve as I was going to get married in the winter and now because we're getting married in the summer I'm like oh I don't I'm not going to wear a long sleeve anymore now my arm's definitely going to be on show and and I I feel like I've got to a good condition of acceptance in with my but even then you know that's something I still had to think about and it it it's not just overnight going to be okay and there will be times but you you've got to surround yourself with people that make you feel good about yourself and you know and 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 try and 
and have those days where you feel really fed up and that's completely okay and yeah and just share it with people and reach out for help and that's yeah I think that's the main thing is just making sure that you do ask for that help yeah yeah I was gonna ask you congratulations on getting married have you have you now chosen your your dress I have yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so I have, and I haven't got any sleeves, and I'll be there on the day, and it will all be fine, and yeah, and the the lymphedema team have been fab, and you know, trying new things before the day, just so I can get it in as good, in a good position. Yeah, that's great, that's fantastic, and and Carl, that must be, um, you know, lovely to be part of as a service, is helping people like Ellen working towards things that are important to them like important life events absolutely yeah um and like like ellen said she's quite willing to try everything she's a little guinea pig any new thing that comes out ellen's like oh have you heard of this i'll have a go with that and there are you know and there are things that we're kind of looking at developing all the time like like ellen what what ellen was kind of referring to before she gets married we're going to do an intensive course of kind of bandaging or kind of some treatment to hopefully get get the get the arm down as much as we possibly can um the potential for that to kind of rebound and for the swelling to, to slightly come back because the lymphatics are not working very well at all um will still be there but even things like that some short-term gains to allow people to be more comfortable during weddings and, and even things like you know people getting shoes on you know, you know we, we have lots we have lots of um lots of patients that just kind of want want to be with wearing high heels or, and things like that you know and, and and there are things that we can really try to develop and and kind of like like ellen said she double layers she bandages she, she, she she's she's a walking advertisement for lymphedema treatment and she's she works so hard so so hard um at her management it's really nice to see that that we're having a, a positive effect yeah so when um so when patients are referred to the service carl and um, you know, is, is there like kind of like a set like pathway or set number of treatments or are, or is it very much down to dependent on patient need? Um, yeah, it does depend on patient need. But the, the one thing is that people kind of forget sometimes in lymphedema. When you're in the lymphedema service, especially within Wales, you're always in the lymphedema service where although we, we will discharge people or we'll put people on an inactive list, as soon as the um, the patient needs our support, we're generally there, whether they want garments or support, they although they, we're not seeing them all the time, it may be, but when when we um, we are required and when we they do need to see us, we, we, we kind of um, make sure that we are available. So the pathway then is generally through um, healthcare professionals whether it's through kind of physios or GPs or vascular teams or plastic surgeons or geneticists. There's, there's loads of different routes that we kind of work through dermatology. Um, now we are kind of raising the profile and we are starting to see referrals coming from various different avenues um, that, you know, that, that, that are recognizing that, that this potentially could be lymphedema. Um, so what we would do, we would you know, generally assess and, um, and see on on like I said a needs a needs basis really, um, and a lot of our role is treating lymphedema and then educating the patient on on the best techniques and the best possible kind of um, 
routines and kind of strategies for them, um, as well as, um, especially with children and young people, as, as well as adults, I'm sure, still living their lives, still being as independent as possible. Obviously, being an occupational therapist myself, I pride myself on enabling enabling our patients to live you know a, a, a such a fulfilling life as possible um and that's kind of where i get uh you know um positivity from in that the fact that we are able to kind of help these patients live 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 as functionally as 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 happy as they can and as um fulfilling so um what i was just thinking as, as you were talking then of um, you know, it, it sounds it sounds an amazing service, by the way. Um, you know, and you know, I think as healthcare professionals, we 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 aim to be as patient centred as uh, and as holistic as possible. Um, so that that all sounds incredible. Um, I'm just I'm just wondering, what are the what are the potential risks or complications of lymphedema? Um, well, like, like Ellen said, cellulitis is one of the most common kind of risk factors in regards to um, any kind of skin breakdown. The, obviously, we said that the lymph fluid is so rich in protein and dead cells, bacteria love it. It's, it's a haven for bacteria. Um, and obviously, with the, the, um, the links with the immune system, our patients are more at risk of developing cellulitis. Um, and when you get a cellulitis obviously it's can, can be quite severe can, can be you know it can be quite um difficult to manage with antibiotics uh, the the cellulitis kind of pathway that we have at the moment that we're really promoting is kind of helping uh, gps and other uh, prescribers recognize that seven weeks of antibiotics doesn't really get rid of that episode of cellulitis it generally says that we need to have a minimum of 14 days because what tends to happen then is you could have cellulitis again in six months and everyone's like, well, they've had another episode. But if they haven't had um, you know, a sufficient, appropriate course of antibiotics, that could possibly still be that same episode uh, resurfacing. So we have we are, you know, things in place that we're developing pathways to help educate and uh, make GPs aware that there's an appropriate level of antibiotics. Um, and then, like Ellen mentioned, it is um, a requirement or suggestion that if somebody has cellulitis twice within a 12-month period that they're trialed on a 12-month really low dose of ev antibiotics every day which is called prophylaxis that they take every day to hopefully stave off or kind of reduce the risk of cellulitis um, coming back doesn't always work they, you know there are there are there are instances where people on prophylaxis on regular antibiotics still get a cellulitis um, but it definitely reduces the risk of, of developing it further. Um, and the one thing to remember with cellulitis, that the lymphatic system, if the lymphatic system is already slightly impaired and not working properly, every time you get a cellulitis, that impacts on the efficiency of the lymphatic system. So the lymphatic system, say, is working at 90% for somebody. Every time they get a, a cellulitis, there's the risk that the lymphatic system isn't going to recover to 90% again. So it recovers a little bit lower. So the efficiency of the system is less than before you had the cellulitis. So that has the knock-on effect of the more risk of edema, the more risk of getting cellulitis again. So it's the, pre the prevention of cellulitis is a massive part of our role. Um, 
and and maintaining skincare and all those other things kind of really contribute to that. So is, is antibiotic resistance an issue in this patient group at all? Um, it can be, I suppose. Again, that's not my area of expertise. Um, but then I think from you know from learning a little bit about antibiotic resistance before, is it more that the bacteria, the cellulitis bacteria, is kind of developing and, and different strains of the bacteria? Um, and going back to my, Ellen will probably be able to answer this better than me, because I actually went to a lecture with my daughter who's now doing medicine, and we went to an antibiotics resistance lecture, and me and the wife kind of jumped in the back, and that's the kind of thing they were suggesting. Everyone thinks that that, that, that it's the, the patient's body that becomes resistant to the antibiotic, where it, they're arguing the case now that research is saying that, that it's more the bacteria that is developing rather than the body becoming res resistant to that effect. So it may be a, a bit of both. I'm sure Ellen can answer that far better than me. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I would just like to add from a patient perspective with cellulitis. Um, it's, it's the whole antibiotic resistance thing is a worry. You know, you do worry about it, especially when I look back over the years, how many different antibiotics I've had, how regularly I've had antibiotics. It is in the back of your mind. But um, from my perspective, the reality of how dangerous cellulitis can get and it, and it really can get dangerous, you just you have to it's always in medicine it's a risk benefit analysis isn't it and actually ultimately for these patient these patient cohort you know you've got a cellulitis there it's confirmed you can see it it's growing you need to treat that um so yeah antibiotics resistance it, it's something for the it's definitely something we've all got to think about as clinicians for the future another thing i'd just like to add about cellulitis as a whole is one of the difficulties with having um, primary lymphedema is um, I had periods where I didn't present with cellulitis in a typical way. Um, now, when you when you present with cellulitis, usually um, clinicians will want to see there's a raised CRP, a raised white cell count. There'll be some sort of inflammatory marker response in your blood. You're likely to have a temperature, you know, showing those cardinal signs of infection. But actually, they found in lymphode lymphedema patients as a whole that often um, lymphedema patients won't present in that usual way because it comes back to that argument that um, it's the lymphatic system involved and actually you need a working lymphatics to be able to then get a coordinated inflammatory response and getting the right cell markers to the right places um, and that was really challenging growing up because what would happen is I'd present I knew I you, you just know like if you've had cellulitis multiple times you know the signs you know how you feel and for me I just always had a really severe headache and some form of really bad limb pain and there'd be like a small red patch you draw around the red patch just to see you're keeping a marker on it but then I would present at you know the doctor's and because I was on prophylaxis antibiotics for years and years and years, if I had an infection, I'd need to usually go in to the straight into the ward. 
and they'd be like well your blood markers are fine you know it's probably fine let's just keep you on oral antibiotics for an, a few days see how it goes and it would have to get really bad before they then consider that actually it had escalated um and then i think st george's had done um that i had a, a letter that said that you know please consider that the patient won't present in the usual way with cellulitis and please consider this in your management and i used to take that with me and then obviously having um having a good lymphedema service where you can call into them if you need to for that advocacy as a patient you know because it is still a rare rare condition that um clinicians haven't come across sometimes um and then now lymphedema support network created these cards that say you know warning this patient has lymphedema and it's got they won't necessarily present and that that dramatically changed overnight really made a difference but yeah I think cellulitis from my perspective purely is I'd get an episode I'd sort of you get a gut feeling on it is this one I can manage at home or is this one that I think I'm going to need to go into the hospital and have um, antibiotics intravenously and like Carl said, it is so true. You get an infection, which is why my hand is bad and why I've mentioned that over the last few years, it's got worse, is because I got one infection in my thumb and it spread and tracked all up my hand. And I that same infection, I think, stuck around for nearly a year. I was in and out regularly with this same and it was the interesting thing is the pattern of how the redness appeared was the same every time so it just would not go <laughs> and um I mean hopefully touch wood it's cleared now but that does take a lot of time um so yeah it's just something to be aware of I'm conscious I didn't really answer your question about antibiotic resistance there but I don't feel like I have anything to else to add to that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that that's absolutely fine. And that, that, you know, that's really interesting to and hear your like hear your personal experience of, of cellulitis as well. And um, you know, that that message of you know, you have a gut feeling, you know your body best, and you know, for you to be saying actually <laughs> I'm pretty sure that this is what it is. Um, you know that, that I think that'd be quite powerful for our, for our listeners um, to to consider that. Um, I'm I'm just wondering as well about about the risks, and I think um, one or both of you at some point have mentioned about the impact on the immune system. And um, as we know, we're still in a COVID pandemic at the moment. So I, I did just want to ask um, Ellen. I'll ask you first. Uh, you know how. How has COVID-19 impacted on you as someone with an existing medical condition that is impacting your immune system as, as well? Yeah, I think um, it's been really challenging. It's been, it's been tough, hasn't it? It really has. And I think the, the additional anxiety when you are classed as, you know, more at risk than your peers. Um, I was very fortunate. I've got a fantastic team around me. I just really can't stress that enough. Lymphedema Network Wales are amazing and the team in St. George's are brilliant as well. And I've been able to 
I've just accessed the care. I've just spoken to them over the phone. I've talked to them about how I'm feeling, how I'm con- whether I'm concerned, any worries I've had. And I, I've just kept that communication open. Um, there's that level of uncertainty around having rare conditions, you know, with the uncertainty around COVID is there anyway, but obviously they, they um, weren't sure. And um, for me personally, myself, as I work in a healthcare, I study in a healthcare environment, it has made it really challenging because um, obviously my potential exposure has been higher than um, other if I was in a different environment. So yeah, it's been really challenging. And obviously the the nature of how lymphedema care has had to shape a bit and how things are delivered has had to shape a bit as we all had to adapt. But um, my my again, my biggest thing would just be to people to just reach out and encourage people to just keep that open communication because there's a lot of people out there that want to help out and that that's the main thing yeah absolutely and Carl I'm just wondering from a from from your point of view as a healthcare professional and and working in the service how has the COVID pandemic affected the service as a whole yeah again just like Ellen was saying we've we've had to adapt and become very innovative in the way um, that we've been able to deliver the service from kind of you know the development of Know, virtual virtual platforms and video phone calls and using I've got one example I got one photo of me with my foot up on the desk in in, in the office with somebody on um, FaceTime and I'm showing them how to measure and I'm showing them how to, and and just all different types of kind of ways weird and wonderful ways you know phone calls video calls we've as 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 a service we've we developed um, support and advice and guidelines on being able to kind of home measure for parents to home measure for people to self measure so initially when covid the first kind of breakout of covid in the first lockdown we we developed a number of tools that were suitable for long long arm treatment i suppose and long distance treatment in regards to how we how the patient could safely still kind of monitor their conditions and report back so we could you know we were both doing the best best that we could but um from a lymphedema point of view, especially from a, um, a children and young people's point of view, I know the isolation and the kind of the lockdown term times were, were difficult for a lot of our young younger patients in the fact that if you think about, right, we talk about looking after our skin care, being mobile, wearing our compression as part of a routine, if those routines are completely out the window, um, lots of those kind of techniques are, are kind of difficult to kind of enforce as a parent i suppose or they're not they're not a priority you know and you know when you when you look on the lines of kind of mental health and isolation as well and kind of you know lack some lack of motivation to do anything when you're when you're not going anywhere um it's been really challenging but as a service i think we've done really well kind of patting ourselves on on the back i think i think we've done really well as a service we like i said we 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 were one of the early early teams i think to start using attend anywhere and new visio phone calls so we had zoom we had teams and the health board really supporting us in having digital software we had ipads we had laptops we were able to really access our kind of services from home so it was not just the kind of the face-to-face contact that we were able to do but we were still able to do our kind of 
admin stuff, our research stuff to make sure that we were doing the best that we could for our patients. But yeah, it's definitely been challenging. Um, and as a team as well, we've done, we've had various different roles. Um, as I said earlier, I, I was doing some district nursing at one stage and as a, as a pediatric OT, we were district nursing. You know, and our team is kind of made up of physios and OTs and, and nurses and radiographers, but we're very aware of looking at the core fundamentals of, of, of managing lymphedema um, and the, the techniques like the skin care, the, the movement, compression and massage um, and the burden, which, which is never, never far away from any of our team members' thoughts in regards to what is the impact of this on you. And like Ellie mentioned earlier, it's very different. You know, the same two people could have exactly the same conditions, exactly the same symptoms, but it could mean so much difference to, to each to each of those. So recognizing what it means to those patients is really important to us as a service and helping them um, make the decisions that suits them. It may always not be the optimum, what we think would be the best, but doing that shared decision-making and what's value to that patient is really important to our service. And I think that's why we managed the kind of function so well during lockdown, because we were like that. So it may be the case that not all of our patients need to be seen, so we could prioritize who we were seeing and then give that advice over the phone or over, over a video conference really seemed to work quite well. That's great. I mean, it sounds like the service has done everything it can to, to provide, um, you know, care and, and, and input for patients, even in, in the midst of, um, of the pandemic. And, and Ellen, you were, you were nodding and, and nodding along to everything <laughs> that Carl was saying there. And I know that you said earlier about how, how, um, how, how good the service in Wales has been for you. Um, I just wondered if you, if there was anything else that you wanted to add about, you know, what has been good for you about the service in Wales and why is that important for patients? Yeah, I, I honestly cannot sing their praises enough. I can't thank them enough. Um, they have genuinely changed my life. I always, always dreamt of wearing high heels, like Carl said, um, growing up with that high heels was always a thing. I always, that was one day and I managed to get some high heels that fit. It was literally about a month ago. Finally, my dreams have come true, which was just incredible. Absolutely incredible, you know, and it was, it, it was so refreshing because there's something really special from my perspective about Lymphedema Network Wales is ultimately at the core, it's so patient-centered. You, you know, everything you feel like it's all around the patient. You, the first appointment, you, you go through a form and you talk about what's important to you. And actually what was lovely is the first person I ever met from the team was you'd see me on paper and you'd walk in and everyone immediately would look at my leg because actually probably that at the time, that was the thing that was the worst. That's the thing that people would see and think, right, we need to get that, you know, under control. But what was lovely is I had a whole conversation around what was important to me. And I was like, actually, my arm is what causes me difficulty, you know? Actually, you'd look at my arm and think it's not, it's not that bad, you know? But actually, the functionality and how my arm is 
how I cope with it is so much worse than my leg. And it was lovely because it was a really special moment because the other, um, the, the clinician, the lymphedema therapist was like, this is nice because this shows us that what we're doing is right. You know, that I, as a therapist would have thought, oh, what about your leg? And probably would have with our own, you know, we all have our own thoughts on these things and would have gone more down, let's get that sorted. And yeah, I think that's lovely. And it, it's really nice because it does make a big difference. It makes you feel like you can you can have the flexibility to to guide what you want to do and everything's always brought back. But then I also think it's nice because I do feel like I've been pushed and encouraged to try new things in, in a really nice, supportive way. Like I said about the made to measure, that that was a big deal in my mind like whoa <laughs> um but the proof is in the pudding I now fit in high heels and skinny jeans and if you said that to me even two well three years ago I would have been like no no way you'll get to the point where you're getting married and you can wear high heels like that's that's just madness going to Debenhams and I got I I tried on some shoes and they fit it was just yeah it's dreams come true it really is dreams come true so yeah I I think it's fantastic service it's it's really made a big difference so thank you <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing and um yeah if you don't mind I'd love to see a picture of you on your wedding day in your, in your... <laughs> um, they're bright pink <laughs> oh, wow. amazing amazing um so I'm, ju I'm just wondering um both of you really um about so what what would be like your key messages for healthcare professionals so not just those working in lymphedema specialist services but ge generally for healthcare professionals or students who work with patients with with lymphedema what would be your your key message to them um ellen um so my key message to them would be listen to the patient, find out what the patient needs, what the patient wants. Lymphedema is, affects us all in lots of different ways and just try to work alongside patients. I think that's, that's what's been lovely for me is when I've had people that I feel like we're a team and we're trying to come up with solutions together and I think that's lovely because you don't, you, especially with having a rare condition specifically, is I don't expect therapists or clinicians to know what exactly is going on, but actually feeling like a team, feeling like they're there for you and they're there to listen, they're there to help you. That is, that's all it's about for me. Um, but Carl, what, what do you think is the key message you would like to um, I think for, I'd, I'd like to leave a key message for um, healthcare professionals you know uh, patients the general public that are not aware of lymphedema and I think Helen hit the nail on the head then that that the lymphedema people are aware of lymphedema a kind of you know we aim to deliver the service as Ellen has kind of described but I think there's there's a great kind of emphasis on raising awareness of lymphedema so the message for you know, everyone else, everyone that doesn't know about lymphedema or is not fully aware that um, the children can get lymphedema. I think the key message is that the services are out there 
and they are e more easily accessible than we think. So I think, and um, especially, you know, people or uh, healthcare professionals working with, you know, children with additional needs, with mobility difficulties, and all these other genetic syndromic kind of conditions, that there is the potential that there are links to lymphedema. So, so please get in touch. Please find out where your local lymphedema service is. Um, and because there's no such thing as a little bit of swelling. And I think one of my managers will love me for saying that. There's no such thing as a little bit of swelling. Oh, that's okay. That's only a little bit of swelling. No, let, let's get in there early. Let's get these early interventions because, like I said earlier, they can be managed. They can, although it's a chronic condition, it can be managed, you know, to, to effectiveness and, and let people kind of live, live um, fulfilling lives. So the message for me is to any healthcare professionals, to anyone listening to this podcast, if, a, a, if you have any kind of suggestion or kind of worry or concern that a child or a family member or anyone you know could have lymphedema um, even if they haven't even if they haven't we'd rather have referrals that we don't see and they haven't got lymphedema than miss than, than miss people because early intervention is so is so important thank you and, and Alan is there anything that you would like to add as a message to individuals who might be listening to your experience and who may be living with lymphedema themselves or know someone who is yeah i think um just reach out to people you know connect with other people and don't be afraid to ask for help um it's hard to do it's hard to get your head around it's hard to say if you are struggling um but i'd like to say that my life has been defined by my lymphedema in some ways but I wouldn't change it for the world I really wouldn't you know the the life that I lead now I, I feel so grateful and and actually it it can really open up some fantastic opportunities and meet some amazing people and don't let it stop you get out there do what you want to do and live your life how you want to do it and and actually the management, the things you can do, it's all manageable. You, you can do it. You can juggle it. You can find ways. There's ways around it, you know, and actually reach for those goals. So, yeah. It's fantastic. What, what a wonderful message uh, for, for those that are listening and to take, to take away, really. Um, before we finish, I just want to check if there's anything that either of you would like to add at all um no I'm not not regarding kind of my speech but would it be the possibility to add on some links and stuff like that to the podcast for for richard's kind of maybe closing thing that that like we could send yeah. you because there's a number of i know we talked about wales but there's a number of special interest groups the children with lymphedema special interest group as as ellen mentioned the lymphedema support network and obviously the lymphedema network wales are all are all searchable so if you just typed any of those into a google search we we would come up and, and all contact details and resources um would be available from there then thank thank you both very much um thank you carl for sharing your experience as a healthcare professional and and working uh within uh, the lymphedema service in wales and ellen thank you for sharing so openly um your, your lived experience of, of lymphedema Lovely. Thank thanks very much. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks for having us. 
So a massive thank you to Ellen, Carl and Lara uh, for letting us listen to that discussion. Um, really, really important insight into what it's like to live with uh, lymphedema as a young person. Um, I'm sure people found it really interesting. So huge thanks again. If you'd like more information on the condition, please look at the Lymphedema Support Network online. You can also find information on pocketmedic.org. Or if you'd like to contact people directly, you could look at the Lymphedema Network Wales, where their email is lymphedemanetworkwales at wales.nhs.uk. Huge thanks for listening. Many thanks again. Ta-ra.